At that moment, with the polite exchange of messages, the war against the Yurks was over. We cut to Cassie's perspective, and it's sort of summing things up. Um, the Yurks formalize their surrender, the pool fleet joins the Andalite fleet, and the rest of the Yurks are given the choice of resist and die, or surrender and be transformed. Um, Yurk homeworld is clearly giving instructions to fight to some of them, um, but the Andalites, now they have the technical data, can just um, destroy any ships that resist, um, and everybody else does surrender. Um, Jake has a run-in with Ascalon over possession of Vissa 1 as a prisoner, uh, but Jake uh, wins that out. And uh, yeah, they go to the mall in Washington. Um, call ahead, you know, I want to give people a heads up that you're going to be showing up. Mm-hmm. And Axe and Jake and Marco and Cassie explain to the press what happened and where things are standing. Uh, Tobias is silent throughout. If he even hears the questions, he didn't show it. And then as Marco was yelled, telling it another amusing anecdote, Tobias spread his wings, caught an updraft and flew away. Uh, the next day, um, Rachel's body is found um, by an Adelite scout ship. Um, her body is brought to California, so we get the reveal. Uh, near the devastation, that was all that was left of our homes. Um, the Andalites uh, treat Rachel's body with like the utmost respect. Um, the way they would treat one of their own dead is the implication given. Um, Cassie and Rachel's mum identify her. Um, and then they have a funeral. Uh, Rachel's cremated. Um, bunch of people at the memorial ceremony because everybody on the planet knows who they are now. Um, <coughs> outdoor service um a monument is being placed everyone gives speeches the president gives a speech uh cassie muses that rachel would have liked it in her own way would have laughed would have thought it was way over the top but enjoyed the attention um would have but she was a few ounces of ash in a jar resting inside an open wooden box the ceremony was almost over when i saw him i'd been watching the sky i knew if he was still alive he would come he wheeled high overhead, riding a thermal. His hawk eyes would see everything, of course, even from half a mile up. But as the band played some horribly depressing music, down he came. He swooped down and landed on the box, wings flaring. One of the ushers moved to chase him off. Jake took the man's arm. Tobias closed his talons around the urn's small handle. He glared fiercely at Rachel's mum. She was crying, had been all along. She sobbed and nodded her head, giving her permission. Then Tobias looked at me. I said, yes, Tobias, she would want it. I don't know where he found the strength to lift that urn, but he did. He flew away, low at first, then catching a thermal, he bore the urn away up into the sky. And then we have a time skip to a year later. Uh, I have conflicting feelings about Tobias taking her ashes. Because on the one hand, he is the one who loved her and was so close to her in these final years, but also, like, her family. Yeah. Uh, I can see, narratively speaking, why that's the choice that was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also say that uh, it's entirely possible that that isn't all of Rachel's ashes. Yeah. 
uh, having dealt with the cremated remains of a loved one. There's a lot of it as it happens. Um, more of it than you might expect, or less, depending on your understanding of the human body, to be morbid about it. Uh, apologies. But it, it, it feels very like putting a button on it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he is given permission, yes. I suppose, is the only thing that doesn't make it gross. Yeah. Um, cause I like the notion, cause it's never really detailed what Tobias does with the urn. Mm-hmm. I prefer, I kind of like the notion of him flying out to see and then just scattering the ashes in the wind because mm-hmm. Rachel loved to fly with him. Mm-hmm. So, cause he knows everyone, like ashes are ashes. They're not the person. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so we cut to Marco because of course Marco is the perfect person to summarize this year. Uh, uh, he does Letterman, he does Leno, he does, we're dropping all the big names here. Uh, John yeah. Stewart, Conan O'Brien, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Oprah, even went on Bill O'Reilly. And I know who Bill O'Reilly is. <laughs> so, you know, that's, this says something, but uh, this is a nonpartisan thing. Yeah. Like he goes on all the media, CNN, so many times that Greta Van Susteren and I were practically roommates. Uh, he even does a guest VJ slot on MTV. And that's just the first few rounds. Yeah. Um, he he is the sort of official, unofficial spokesperson, and he calls it his career. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're bigger than celebrities right now. Um, they're bigger than any actors. Um, everyone wants a piece of them, mm-hmm. as it were. Uh, Jake and. Cassie are not interested in doing any kind of talking to the press. Tobias hasn't been seen or heard of since Rachel's funeral. Um, and Jake and Cassie can give interviews. They're just bad at it. They're very bad at it and way too serious. Yeah, Jake is uh, too serious and gets lost in his thoughts. Mm-hmm. And Cassie gets too deep into the morals of it to be palatable to a viewing audience, which, you know, Nice uh, little meta commentary mm-hmm. on Cassie perspective books there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he takes on all the panels and is the technical advisor for a Spielberg movie about Animorphs and uh, writes a book. Uh, Cassie also writes a book, but his book does way better than hers. I mean, to be clear, his is number one. Hers is number seven. It's yeah. not that her book does badly. Uh, his being The Gorilla Speaks. As being insights on the animal mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets signed on to an acting job. Nick Lang, a wisecracking mutant superhero sort of guy who can turns into animals. Um, not the main star supporting player. It's taking over the X-Files old time slot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he becomes a spokesman for a bunch of products. Yeah. Um, and is loaded. Yeah. Uh, he has a beach house in Santa Barbara. And an apartment in New York has a Viper, a Maserati, a Humvee. Um, we gets get, a bunch of girls. Yeah, eats in nice restaurants. It's like, and maybe you're expecting me to say it was all an empty experience that my life wasn't all that great. But you know what? I was happy. We all should have been happy. Cassie was Under Secretary of the Interior for Resident Aliens. It paid less than I spend on corn chips. But hey, Cassie was 17 like me and she was meeting with the president and spending most of her time with the free hawk bajir. 
who've been given Yellowstone because they can both look after the trees um, as well as sort of flourish there. Apparently the tourists love it. And there's now a year and a half waiting list to get into Yellowstone because the tourists love it so much. Um, and as Cassie had hoped, uh, Arbron's sort of faction of taxons have been relocated to the Brazilian rainforest, uh, having permanently morphed to anacondas and various other way too big snakes. Um, which, and the ra- Brazilian rainforest is now protected by law and UN payments. And Arbron's with them. Um, oh, he was, because uh, he, uh, Arbron gets. Uh, shot and killed by poachers, um, and Markham uses that Arbron was probably grateful because he'd saved his adopted people, but had, was still a prisoner himself. Um, but the Andalai ambassador actually took care of the body, and Arbron's flown back to the home world, or well, his body, I should say. Uh, but Cassie is like a big government hotshot, uh, and also taking college courses and, 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 um, but she re- straight up refuses to do any sort of sponsorship. Um, Axe is doing great. He's an official prince. He's a huge hero. He's a hero in his own right. He's no longer in Elfangor's shadow. Andalite tourism is a huge thing. Got to um, to Worth. Got to Cinnabon. It's still not happening. A whole lot because interstellar travel isn't cheap. But you but know, the big thing was for wealthy or influential Andalites <laughs> to come to Earth and acquire human morphs. Can't believe Ka fucking preempted space tourism. <laughs> and uh, it, it, Marco thinks about how you know some folks had been really afraid that the whole thing about aliens being real would freak out everybody, but. <laughs> Actually, for the most part, everyone's really chill about it. Yeah. Just like, oh, dope. They're just glad that the aliens aren't the Borg, which is some foreshadowing. Mm. Um, Axe worked out technology transfer deals because you can't just dump a whole 100 years of technological advances overnight or the stock market goes nuts. I mean, let it. Mm. Um, Um, But yeah, we get this good. And this is like just for very precut because it's but Microsoft, Sony, Adobe, Nintendo are all name checked here. Uh-huh. Um, Andalites not giving up any weapons tech, but um, talk, he talks about NASA having a revival um, and that the first human zero space vehicle be built, like joint, jointly by Boeing and Lockheed. Mm-hmm. And I just like, mm hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will be ready for launch in three years. Homo sapiens, we're going to the stars. Look out, universe, we're coming to build a Starbucks near you. Yeah. No idea if that's meant to be a good thing or a bad thing. It's just hilarious to me as a statement, given how many fucking Starbucks franchises there mm-hmm. are. Um, and then we get this the, his commentary on Jake. As for Jake, well, my boy Jake has always had a serious side to him. I mean, I tried to talk to him about things, but some guys shake off a war and move on, and other guys don't. Jake carried Tom and Rachel and those 17,000 yurks around his neck like the ancient mariner and his albatross. Being Jake, he didn't lose it. He was still Jake, but he was a different Jake, smaller and bigger at the same time, if that makes any sense. He was closed off, inward. He would sound almost like the old Jake sometimes, but you just got the sense that he was out of phase with everyone else, like he was half a step ahead or behind. 
Of course, he was just made out into this big, strong and silent type and got a bunch of married proposals. Um, he loved Cassie, but they aren't talking to each other. Um, he, Jake doesn't write a book or take any endorsements. Uh, every college tries to recruit him and he's like, nah. West Point offers him a gig as an instructor and he's like, nah. Um, if he'd been old enough, he could have run for president as the candidate of Democrats and Republicans both. Jake was the biggest hero the world had ever seen because he was a hero for all humans, not one nation. He had saved the lives and freedom of the entire human race. I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and had anything he wanted. The problem was, he didn't want anything, except for Tobias to come back, for Rachel and Tom to be alive, for the chance to unlive one fateful moment when he gave the order that doomed 17,000 defenseless yurks. I worried about him. Okay, I worried about him while sitting by my pool or driving my Maserati or escorting some bubbly Hollywood honey past the rope line at the most exclusive clubs, but I worried about him. I hadn't seen Jake or Cassie in a couple of months when my lawyer called to say the date had been set. And now the three of us would be together again, in The Hague, Netherlands. We were to testify in the war crimes trial of the York prisoner, Visser One. Uh, you know, the kid's book. <laughs> kid's book. We cut to Cassie, uh, who meets up with Marco in, at the hotel. Um, and they kind of catch up a little bit. Uh, and... She's like, do you know, has Jake arrived yet? Is he staying at this hotel? And Marco's like, I wish he would see you. You're what he needs. I mean, I try to talk to him, but you know, Jake, he can go totally opaque when he wants to. You ask him if he's okay. He says, sure. You ask him if he needs anything. It's no, I'm good. But he never seems to do anything. Not that I know of anyway. <laughs> How often do you see him? Marco started to answer, stopped, gave a guilty shrug officially, as in I see him and he sees me. <laughs> Ah, so you're spying on him. I'm still an anamorph. I like to fly, and if I may be, I'm an eagle morph. I happen to see him. Yep. Uh, how is he really? I'm not exactly a psychiatrist. Um, he's depressed. You know, like, not just sad, but something deeper. Like, clinically depressed. Like a party balloon with half the helium gone. Like a flashlight with low batteries. He hangs around the house with his mom and dad. Sometimes he'll go for a drive. You know, at least he kept the free Jaguar. I mean, if he'd refused that, I'd have had to kill him personally. And he goes to see Rachel's grave. He doesn't talk to her. He just kind of sits there. He doesn't put flowers down. Um, he sits there for an hour, sometimes two, and stares out at the ocean, watches the sun goes down, and then he leaves. Sometimes I think he's waiting there, hoping Tobias will show up. Um, and Cassie's like, Rachel would be so mad at him. Um, and, you know, they're, they're like, what is that? Should he just shake it off and move on? Um, and Cassie is like, I am kind of ashamed that I have moved on. Um, I wonder if there's something wrong with me when I enjoy the day or enjoy my job or my classes. Um, I still morph. Um, it's really good. Uh, and Marco says he has the feeling that Jake hasn't morphed since the war ended. And they get this, they kind of bat around this idea of morph therapy, of the fact that being another, being an animal puts things into perspective. Um, and maybe they should use this to help Jake. I want to give a shout out to the like, They want a Krispy Kreme franchise back in the home world. You have a fair number of Andalites who possess a human morph now all back home. Still looking for a donut. The idea that they're going to trade donuts for morphing tech. Yeah. Um, 
And then we get the, um, I think you're right about what? More therapy. I think it could be useful when someone is in a funk, let's say. I looked at him to see whether he was kidding. He looked back. All of a sudden, neither of us was kidding. The payoff for that is incredible. It's very good. We got a, a little, we got a chapter uh, because now we are in The Hague, mid the reading out of uh, Vissa One's many, 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 many war crimes. Yep. Um, He's eligible for 800 years in prison. Uh. Um, I love the reading of Vissa One's indictment was going to take a while. <laughs> Um, but they have about a hundred. There are about a hundred witnesses here. Um, a Lauren's not allowed to testify. What with it being too close to self-incrimination, and it's taken this this long, this year, um, to organise the trial. The mm-hmm. biggest problem being how to have Vissa One there mm-hmm. and involved in the proceedings, as is his right. Um, because you can't take a host body to do it, because that would be one of the things that's considered a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh. Hey, but hey, Andalite technicians willingly create a yerk box about the size of a hardcover book, has a miniaturized Candronosaurus, a computer interface, and a voice synthesizer. The Vissa could hear and see and speak. Uh, the box painted lavender for some obscure Andalite reason. Love that little detail. Mm-hmm. Um, is sat on a pedestal facing the curved judge's bench. And I'm like, See how easy this fucking is, Andalites? Mm-hmm. Just took less than a year? Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the Vissa has half a dozen lawyers who look very professional, very slick, and like they knew they had zero chance. Media gallery is full. Whole world is watching. Uh, Marco tries to joke, if anybody so much as farts, there's going to be about 10,000 rounds fired off before you can say it wasn't me. Because they're... they're the whole place is just lined with very heavily armed special forces. Um, we're in Jake's POV as we get all of this description. Uh, he and Cassie had exchanged awkward hugs, and he just kind of muses that like he doesn't know what to say to her. He doesn't know what to say in general to anyone at all. Maybe I was getting stupid in my old age. That, that old, old age of 17. Yep. Um. Part of me wanted what we'd had in the old days, Cassie and me, but that wasn't possible. I knew that. I'd come to accept that all of that, all of what I'd had with Cassie, Tobias, Axe, even Marco, all of it was in the war. And the things that were in the war didn't seem to translate into real life, like they were written in incompatible computer languages or something. I still cared for Cassie, for all of them. I always would. My life is divided into three parts, before, during, and after the war. And that middle section was so overwhelming, so big, so intense, it made the other two portions seem dim and dark and dull. That's how I felt now, pretty much all the time. Dark, dull, slow and stupid, distracted, but not by anything in particular. Just like there was something else I should be thinking about, but I couldn't recall what it was. I understood Tobias. I didn't think he ran away out of rage or even out of grief. I mean, maybe at first, yeah, but I wondered if maybe, like me, he wasn't just looking for simplicity, maybe. Why wasn't Marco like that? He thrived on it all. The attention, the fame, the excitement. Maybe he was just more resilient. And Jake is called up to testify against Visser Three. The first witness. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Um... And 
he uh, is placed on the bench. Uh, and the defense objects to him being there as a witness. And uh, base, based on the idea that Jake should be himself under indictment as a war criminal. Uh, if the alleged war crimes of the York military officer Visser I are to be tried in this court, it must be in the pursuit of impartial justice. Truly impartial justice cannot be applied only against one side in a conflict. If my client is to be tried for his actions in the human York War, then so must the actions of this witness. With all due respect to this court, this witness is a mass murderer, a war criminal. The objection is denied, but the fact that it was brought up at all really rocks Jake to his core. He's thrown off. He can't testify properly. He's stuttering and stammering and unable to remember things. He's having these flashbacks um, of so many things, especially mm -hmm. of the, the day when uh, Elfangor gave them the power of the different battles of the tiger. Um, and he, he just kind of like somehow makes it through the day totally dissociated. He knows he's doing a bad job of it. Mm -hmm. um, and he's berating himself for it. Yes. And so he leaves the courtroom, goes straight back to his hotel room, and just kind of like sits there and stares at his hands. Uh, and then he looks up and there's a gorilla there. And the gorilla knocks him out. <laughs> yeah, he sees Cassie demorphing in, from the corner in the car and uh, Axe is there too. <laughs> Mark does a hey! And knocks him out. And shout out to the next scene, which is Jake waking up, falling into deep water. Mm -hmm. Salt water. Um, so I forget what bit of water is directly above the Netherlands. Yeah, it's not. It's really not important. Um, uh, but he's fully dressed. He's got shoes on, and he's struggling. The water's cold. Uh, it's a grey day. The sun's really far away. Um, and he's panic. He starts to panic, uh, realizing he's going to freeze to death. And he's just his brain instinctually reaches for dolphin morph. Uh, and he begins to change. We get the first description of a morph we've had in a little bit. Um, and he fully goes dolphin, and then he begins to swim, like jumping out of the water. He wants to see where he is. Yeah. And so he jumps, and then he realizes after he comes down from the jump that he didn't look to see where he was. He was just enjoying the jumping. Yeah, so he jumps again. And again, and again, and again, and he completely wears out this dolphin body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pings off his ultrasound and figures out there's three other dolphins nearby, keeping their distance. Um, and they're not far from the beach. He finally realizes they're not that far. Um, heads to shore, demorphs. Um, Frey's friends are there, wearing morphing outfits, like the old days, no shoes. We never learned how to morph shoes. Ignore that one book where they had somehow sussed out how to morph shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and Jake's just, I guess you guys think you're clever, squeezing the water. You can't squeegee water out of your hair. <laughs> Damn it. And Marco points out, no, they're desperate. Um, because he's Jake's been stuck in his own head for so long. Uh, and that's fine. That's his business. But until it's other people's business. Mm -hmm. Um and we get this conversation between them because Jake finally kind of says what's really bothering him, which is that the the defense lawyer called him a war criminal. 
And Cassie and Marco and Axe are all like, look, she's wrong. You did what you had to do. Axe is like, I was the one who even pointed it out to you. And Jake is like, yeah, but I made the call. I pulled the plug. So why don't you tell me? How is that prosecutor wrong? How is Visser one evil and I'm not? I'd really like to know that. I want to give a shout out to Cassie is the only one that says the woman is wrong. <laughs> the, the lawyer is wrong. Mm-hmm. Marco and Axe kind of sidestep around mm-hmm. it. Like, well, she's not incorrect. Yeah. Uh, Cassie's the one who's like, Jake, I've thought a lot about this. I've had to think about it because I've done the same things you've done. You were the leader, but you were, but if you're a war criminal, then so are we for following you. I've had to make my own peace with the things I've done. Jake, you can't equate the victim and the perpetrator says the person who called them victim perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as long as you're playing defense, it's not possible to commit a war crime, I asked. That's pretty close to just saying that the winner makes the rules because it's the winner who writes the history. She grabbed my arm and searched for my eyes, forcing me to look at her. No, Jake, it isn't. There are a lot of close calls in history, lots of wars where the blame is evenly split between the sides. This isn't one of them. Before they came to Earth, no human ever attacked a yerk. No human ever harmed a yerk. This one is clear. We are the victims. They made war on us. Um, That's good, I said softly. All of that is good. We have justification. We are the good guys. That's right, Big Jake. We are, says Marco. And Jake's like, that's good for the big picture. See, my problem is a little more personal. Uh, And he's like, Axe, you're right. You did call my attention to the possibilities on the pool ship. And when you did... I guess I should have thought, well, Jake, it's a harsh and terrible thing to do, but you're justified because, after all, you're the victim here. But that's not what I thought. You know what I thought? And Cassie steps back and Marco steps forward. I know what you thought, Jake. You thought, die, you filthy worms. Feel the fear, yurks. Feel the pain. Feel the helplessness. You wanted them to suffer, and the idea of them suffering and dying made you happy. You were thrilled. You were high. I said, yeah, Marco, that was about it, word for word. Well, dude, you don't get to be a war criminal by thinking bad thoughts. It's what was done, not what was felt or thought. You have to judge the act. You were acting in self-defense. You were enjoying the fact that you were winning. Two different things. Uh, And Axe is like, look, I'm not a human, but it seems to me that it's up to your people to decide the morality of your actions, and their decision is pretty clear. They don't think that you're a criminal, and my people agree with their assessment. Um, we stopped the Yurk threat under your leadership, we saved Earth, and we may have saved the Andalites as well. So, in the long run, things work out, I guess. And Jake is just like, yeah, sure. Everyone kind of just runs out of things to say. Um, and he's like, thanks for throwing me in the ocean. Uh, that <laughs> helped. I'll be better tomorrow on the stand. Uh, he doesn't say out loud, but he wants it. It's the first actual joy he's felt since seeing Rachel kill Tom, mm-hmm. since before then. But the, there's this wall between him and Cassie, and he no homos, um, <laughs> because he can't possibly say it to Marco, because guys don't do emotional stuff with each other. Yep. Toxic masculinity yep. is a poison. Um, uh, and it he clearly does get his shit together, yep. because we get the CNN breaking news. The five-judge panel in The Hague has returned convictions on 22 of 25 counts of war crimes against the Yerk Visser one. Me, being me, wants to know the three that they decided nah on. 
Uh, this one, of course, said the Yurk invasion of Earth and was in command of all Yurk and allied forces at war's end. The decision means that Visa one will almost certainly never be released from the specially constructed prison facility that has been built in Kansas. The trial was televised live around the world for three weeks, during which time 73 witnesses took the stand to substantiate the charges and allegations. Jake Berenson was the first witness, followed by the rest of the living and available anamorphs and many, many more. And now we're going to the CNN legal analysis for analysis of this truly unique moment in legal history. So, And then we get another time skip. We get another time skip. But before we get to that, and the stuff that happens after. Yep. I really like this as an epilogue. Mm. It really points out just how fucked up everyone is mm -hmm. while also demonstrating the uh the different variations mm -hmm. of how people deal with it afterwards yeah like k.a went into this knowing that they wanted to tell a war story and how war affects everybody differently but it affects everybody um and they understood the assignment <laughs> yeah and and wrote to that um and, you know, I'm glad we get such a variety of people being okay or not okay. Yeah. We don't get as much from Axe. We get a little bit in the next chapter, but um, from Marco, who genuinely seems, like, simultaneously okay and also just, like, almost manic or yeah. frantic in, yeah. in his... Uh, and something we see coming up is that sometimes... The fact that he will just, he just, he does miss something. Mm -hmm. Um, like he ran of these like morphing lobster in the bottom of his own swimming pool and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But the fact that he is also worried about the, and the fact he's also surrounding himself indirectly with the war. Mm -hmm. He's playing this, uh, he hero that can turn into animals. He's writing books. Mm -hmm. He isn't putting the war behind him. Mm -hmm. as Hall and neither is Cassie yeah they're both still very much it's just things have changed but they haven't like put the war behind them it's very much informing the lives that they have meanwhile Jake why is none really having therapy why kids to therapy it just seems like an odd oversight like even if we'd mentioned I'd tried talking to somebody about it and it just didn't help i mean the the reality is that uh america is really 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 bad at taking care of its veterans this is true and I, that's probably a deliberate commentary on ka's part but also given that they're loaded but hey <laughs> maybe marco is in therapy but that maybe that's part of why marco's doing all right because he yeah. has got loads of money so he can't throw mm-hmm Plus, like, we don't hear about uh, the parents anymore, but the implication that Eva and Peter are somewhere happy, mm -hmm. presumably. There are a few fix on that. Incredible. <laughs> um, we know Jake's living with his parents. So we don't hear anything about Cassie's mum and dad. We don't hear anything about Naomi or Lauren. Mm -hmm. um, and to be fair, they are not the focus of the story. The kids right. are. It's There have... So... I am not convinced that even Peter have their happily ever after because no, 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 their no, their no. marriage was 
floundering before she was yerked. Yeah. There's a lot there to unpack. But no, if they get to have like their own, yeah. this is our lives. Actually, no, we weren't compatible anymore. Yeah. But let's move to a place where we can be friends. And yes, each. exactly. Um, I just, I think about Jake living in his parents' home for a year. And like, that's not a good place for him to be. No, around his parents? Yeah. Like, even if it's not the home he grew up in anymore, it's still daily confronting the reality that his brother is dead and he caused it. Yeah. And I'm, I, I mean, I assume he hasn't told his mum and dad about the specifics. I mean... Maybe he has, maybe they know. Yeah, I don't... There are no good options here, to be clear. <laughs> we don't hear about how they got de-yerked either. Yeah. So... There's, there's, it's all bad all the way down. Yeah, there no is, how you cut there it. is no good slicing this pie. Um, but it is so much, uh, and I like what we see about the world too, like the mm. little glimpses we get, like the world, I mean, I like it and I really don't like it because. Some of it's lazy, some of it's very convenient. Yeah, it's. Some of it is is like, well, yep, that does make complete sense that we would just expand capitalist hell, yeah, into yeah. the galaxy. Sure, yeah, that that which tracks. also makes sense considering that given this when this was written in yeah. that like it's still in the economic boom. Yeah, the, the stock market crash hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, but we've already talked about the taxons and the problem with yeah their fate. Um, the. I'm not convinced that this is a happy ending for the hork No, No, uh, the reservation. Yeah, it's got very strong reservation vibes. Uh, and it makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, and we don't necessarily hear anything about what the hork wanted. Yeah. It's just we, that they've been given... Yes. We assume that... Through negotiations uh, with Toby and Cassie advocating for them, that they do have a constitution. That yeah, that they have they had some say in what happened. Yeah, but also, there's no way that the U.S. treated them with yeah. the respect that they are due. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as they met any Horkbajir that wasn't Toby. Yeah. Um. And also, like, are they just gonna leave the Hork-Bajir homeworlds under Yurk control? What, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, it's just a lot. Um, yeah. And then we've got to fucking talk about the auxiliaries. Yeah. This is, right, uh, one casualty in the first. There were only 17 of them, plus James anyway, right? Mm-hmm. That's seventeen children that we never hear mentioned. There's yeah. is there an does somebody pay for a memorial for these kids? Yeah. Like what happened we know James didn't have a family. Yeah, but, but a lot of those kids did. Yeah, and he explicitly says to Jake, like a lot of these kids are all their family has. Yeah. And it's it's just like it it feels extremely fucking bad that they're killed. Mostly By and large, screen. almost entirely off screen. Yeah. 
and then never mentioned again. Something, something, disposable bodies, something, something. Yeah. It just Disrespect really given to disabled people. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. Yeah. And that's that's on the that's on KA. That's not Yeah. Like This is a fuck up. Yeah. We uh we had that part of our drinking game was the KA fucked up thing. I know we did we, I know we abandoned the drinking game very quickly, but it was in my head. Um <laughs> and it's just such a shitty oversight. Yeah. Cause it'd be so easy to say there was a memorial. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just a throwaway thing. Exactly. Like a list of the dead. Yeah. And like the quote-unquote defense is that, you know, they were writing this on a time crunch and they were trying to pull so many threads together and they just missed one. But also, like... The implications. It just... It's very... This is a bad thread to let fall. Yeah. Of all the thing, Of all the balls to drop, <laughs> this bad. It, yeah. It's... It really... Even if we had the implication that Jake was feeling guilty about it, he doesn't even mention them. He says, oh, carrying the weight of Tom and Rachel and 17,000 Yerks, but not the friend, not your allies. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're, yeah. People he watched die in real time. Mm-hmm. 17 children that they specifically recruited. Yeah, would not be in the war if it were not for him. Yeah. Well, the animals. Yeah. But he put them in that place on the battlefield. Yep. And it saved, what, a bunch of human soldiers who we don't even know by name. Mm-hmm. It, they, it was important in that the Visser, so the important thing about what the auxiliaries did is that Visser 1 wasn't thinking about the possibility that the Animorphs could already be on board. Because he saw animals on the ground. He's like, ah, yes. The Animorphs. The Animorphs. (laughs) And so, like, they did serve an important role in that. And it gave the others enough time to... Do what needed to be done. Do what needed to be done. But at the end of the day... It's not recognized. No. Not at all. They're, they're, They're not mentioned at all. Which is what really fucking sucks. Yeah. Like if, I can't remember if I'd said this before, I just thought about it and then Arrow happened. If Jake had talked about, like if they had even just made their own private memorial because they yeah. didn't want to talk about yeah. the children they recruited into the war. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, yeah, it's it's wild. There are a couple of fix that go into it. There there. I have seen more fix go into the Animorphs having post-war angst about David and, like, David's parents get de-irked and they're like, where's my son? Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and the Animorphs, like, either don't say anything or they they go off and leave a letter behind that's like, hey, by the way, your son is dead. Probably. We think. He might also be a rat. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I've seen more of that than I have of them reckoning with the death of the auxiliaries. Um, and, you know, that, that speaks to just a fandom-wide 
Yeah, this isn't also this is not a problem unique to animorphs, yeah. to be clear. Um Although there was there is one really excellent fic where they go back to Pedro. Ooh, very good. Uh but uh <laughs> it's also extremely fucking depressing because they give Pedro the power to morph into a pigeon and he morphs into a pigeon and just fucking flies away. Power to you guys, just like fuck this shit, I'm out. Yeah. Boom. Um but yeah, it's overall I am pleased with the epilogue despite the missteps and the bad decisions with it. Mm-hmm. It's still st- hashtag still a better epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, still a better ending than Twilight, also. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, to relive the old uh, hashtags. But yeah. hey, let let's get back into these last few chapters uh, because hey, um, hey, you know how this book is called The Beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh but hey, here's Axe. He's got his own ship and they're having the arguably fun job of looking for the blade ship. Yep. Uh it it is one of the few kind of military vessels that's still doing anything. Um by and large uh most of the military has kind of been gradually not disbanded but yeah. kind of made unnecessary. Yeah. Um there's this one lovely detail that I really appreciate. We're 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 in Axe's perspective here, mm-hmm. um, and he's explaining his reasoning for an order, and he gets the impression that his first officer doesn't really approve because captains, war princes, are supposed to be like very aloof. They don't explain themselves. You just do as you're told. Mm-hmm. And the implication of what Axe has learned from being part of the Animorphs and the kind of leader he wants to be mm-hmm. is not this distant infallible figure he wants the people serving under him to understand why he does things that he does specifically because he wants them to be able to think in a crisis if he's not there upsetting and good <laughs> uh, he's a good leader is the thing yeah um and they they come across this weird alien vessel that they don't know what it is. It appears to be completely dead in the water with no life signs on board. It's just trace amounts of D- of Earth DNA, right? Which is what's so weird. Um, and he says that all right, well, let's prepare a boarding party. We'll go on board the ship, see what we can find, if there's any indication of what this ship was. Um, and. Because the blade ship is not the only renegade yuck outfit. Yeah. So. Um, and so he goes. On. <laughs> I love the little details in here about how Axe can't properly, like, like how he's expected to chastise people for doing bad jobs, but also can't chastise them too much because he's the great Axe-Simili and it would carry way more weight than he wants it to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we have this love, he thinks a lot about the others. Like We get this reference of him like it, the intrepid, the ship he's on, being the only ship out looking for trouble, as Marco might have put mm-hmm. it. Um, you can just feel the sort of fingerprint of the Animorphs on Axe yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and uh he boards they board the other ship uh, built in a sort of starburst pattern asymmetrical as if someone had picked up a few dozen earth style habitations they called skyscrapers and welded the bottoms together 
this thing is huge. Yeah. Um, and as he boards, his first officer, whose name is Menderash, um, basically reports to him that they still don't see any life signs, but these are, there, there are these traces of Earth DNA, which is really fucking weird, because why is Earth DNA way the fuck out here? And also, what's going on on this ship? Yeah, so that, it, that there's nothing here. They're clear. So the blade ship must have been here, because... Yeah. That's the only reason they can think of, because they know the blade ship has yokes with morph morphs mm-hmm. from Earth. Yep. And he tells his first officer to like figure out where exactly this is coming from, so we can track it down. It would take a year to search the ship completely. Um, uh, they find it, but uh. And Mendras is like, this is bad. Yeah. You, you should reconsider, uh, whether, uh, you should go on this boarding party or not. Cause like, there's, there's something very dangerous happening here. Something is wrong. Yeah. Maybe you should come back and leave this to the, the TO or, uh, himself as the first yeah. officer. Uh, and. And I love that Axe agrees with him. But yeah. yeah, I think there is something dodgy here. Yeah. You sense danger. Yeah. Uh, despite the sensor reading showing this is a dead ship. And and Menderash is like, yes, Captain. So do I. Just the same. Here I am. Might as well go forward. Take us in for docking. Let us go see what this DNA is. And we cut to Jake. And Jake is instructing a. We don't hear from Max again, sadly, for reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, that become clear. Yeah. But Jake is uh, teaching a class on um, using morphs. Yeah. Um, he's got like this group of what forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, two dozen men and women. Yeah. Uh, chosen from elite anti terror forces of various democratic nations American, British, French, Japanese, German, and Norwegian soldiers, all mentioned as being in this particular class, the third that Jake has taught in this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he talks about how there's been an increase in terrorism, how uh, there are religious cults convinced the presence of alien species uh, is a sign of, de- was a delaying a hoped for Armageddon. Uh, some are uh, just some sort of latter-day racist who needed someone to hate and were focused on the hawk Bashir. And then there's the ecological extremists who just hated anything new and technological. Okay, bless you liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, about how terrorists have begun to attack Andalite tourists and free hawk Bashir. Um, and so the Andalites have agreed that there's going to be one morphing cube made available um, so long as it remains in Andalite custody and only be used for anti-terror forces. Um, but because there is, it's serious business, uh, and like earth trade and tourism. Mm. Um, and Jake needs something to do with himself. And he's the reigning expert on using animal morphs for infiltration, surveillance, and combat. Yep. Uh, they call him Professor, um, which he think it, which is clearly because he hasn't even formally graduated high school. Um, but they had to call me something. These amazingly fit, smart, disciplined men and women, some of whom were twice my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're at a place, uh, somewhere in the, uh, the 29 Palms Marine Corps base, way out in the California desert. Um, he's living about a mile away, f- about half away, a mile away from Marco, whose house is about seven times bigger than his. He wrote a book. Yep. Just, he moved out from his parents. Yeah, he, he moved out from his parents. 
he writes a book. Uh, it's his way of telling people more about Rachel and Tobias, the forgotten animorphs. Um, the just, book- just Rachel and Tobias, yeah, the forgotten know. animorphs. Uh, the book made makes him way more money than he could ever possibly need, so he buys a house for his family and then buys his own little house. Yeah. Um, and- he, he's now working for the effectively DOD. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, he speaks to Cassie every couple of months. We get this uh, drop that she's actually seeing someone else, a really good guy. But Jake doesn't remember his name. Um, Who's working for the governor of California. Um, so they spend a lot of time working with the Hulk Bashir. Yeah. Uh, so Jake gets gets out of the class. It's over. Um, and he heads out to the Humvee that's waiting for him. He gets he gets personally flown to and from this uh, base every day in order to teach this class. Um, <clears throat> but um, he's told he's heading for his plane. Um, but clocks one of the security guys uh, talking into his earpiece, mm-hmm. um, and Jake's told that there is an Andalite that's landed um, on the base and is asking for him. Uh, but not Axe. Mm-hmm. At least this might, Major doesn't think so. Um, but uh, he he's waiting. A convoy shows up, including a horse trailer, uh, two andalites, uh, apparently n- who have never taken offense at kicking it in a horse trailer, mm-hmm. which makes sense. It's kind of open, the vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is Prince Kaysath Winwall Eskaruth and uh, Menderash Postil Fastil. Um, who know, he is, as we know, the first officer of the Intrepid. Uh, and Jake's like, I mean, Prince Axamalized ship. And Kayseth confirms that Mandras is the only known survivor of the Intrepid. I guess I looked pretty stupid for a moment, minute as that news sank in. Are you telling me Axe is dead? Kayseth slowly shook his head. It was a habit they'd learned as part of communicating with humans. No, he is not confirmed dead only missing. In fact, we have reason to believe that he may still be alive, but a prisoner. Whose prisoner? I snapped. It was Menderash who answered. The blade ship. Menderash tells the whole story, how they approached the alien vessel, how Prince Aximali was, uh, led the boarding party, how the docking went fine, they all boarded just fine, they found the source of the DNA, it was a few hairs few white hairs. No, not truly white. Colorless, almost hollow. The hairs of a polar bear. Um, when Axe realizes what this is, he shouted for warriors to draw weapons and raise the defenses on the Intrepid. Um, they're only able to get part of their defenses up before the blade ship reveals itself and this uh, alien vessel fires at them and effectively uh, wipes out the Intrepid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is confirmed it's the alien vessel, vessel and not the blade ship that fired on them. Right. This was not a dead ship. This was a decoy. Yeah. Um, and they, the Intrepid had to pull away. Um, standing orders were to save the ship and they had no choice but to withdraw. Um, and just before they pulled away, Prince Aximali, uh cried out in thought speak, Jake's name specifically. Just Jake's name. Yep. Um, and Menderash talks about how, uh, after they pulled away, the engines went, they lost life support. 
Um, they saw the blade ship emerge from within the alien vessel and flee. Um, the alien vessel followed the blade ship and fired repeatedly at the Intrepid, which tried to follow but basically couldn't keep up. And then it lost its engines. Um, and it was, they saw that the blade ship and the alien vessel then entered Kelgrid space. And, uh, Jake asks what the fuck Kelbrid space is, because to him, like to us, it's a completely new thing. Yep. Um, and the Andalite hesitates until Jake dismisses all of the Marines in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and they explain that the Kelbrid are an empire that borders the far reaches of the Andalite territory. They are dangerous, warlike, aggressive. But also trustworthy. But also trustworthy because we have this treaty with them and so far they've completely abided by that treaty. The treaty is just, we don't go there and they don't come here. Um, and they have no idea if this was a Kelbridge ship because they don't know and the Kelbridge don't know about them. Yep. And they have no way of knowing if the Kelbridge are in league with the Blade ship. Uh, Jake is getting like, oh, okay, can we get to the point? Um, and so, so what are you guys doing about it? And this Andalite, um, Kaysath, is like, nothing. We cannot enter Kelbrid space without starting a war. No Andalite ship, no Andalite warrior could enter Kelbrid space. The risk is far too great, um, even to attempt to re- rescue Prince Aximili. No Andalite ship. Absolutely not. He was definitely leading me somewhere. Uh, and then it's really, there must be a number of surrendered Yerk ships around. I believe they are. I believe, to name just one, there is a Yerk prototype ship in orbit above us at this moment. Very fast, heavily armoured. A sort of smaller version of a blade ship. Uh, it's just sitting there. <laughs> um, and Jake's like, oh, who's going to fly it? Um, and Menderash morphs to human. And Jake's like, he's still an Andalite. And Menderash like, in two hours, I will no longer be an Andalite. Yep. This guy fully willing to go... To become a Nothlet to save Axe. Mm-hmm. Gonna ship a little bit of Menderas. Uh, uh, just, yeah. just saying, I know military numbers, but also, I am a gay. <laughs> uh, but the implication being like, yeah, th- there's just gonna be this ship. Uh, we're gonna leave it there. And it's, ver- it's very, it reminds me of very Cold War esque mm-hmm. vibes. Yeah. Uh, also, just because, just how much they covered are the Klingons. <laughs> It's it's got the vibe, mm-hmm. um, but we cut to Cassie, uh, who is hiking uh, with the boyf, uh, <laughs> Ronnie Chambers. What a fucking name! Mm-hmm. Um, who is the specifically? He is the liaison for the governor with the Hawkbashir. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've left all their assistance and security and Cassie's security detail behind. They're scouting out a new valley as a possible extension of the Hawkbridge territory as their population is growing. Um, there's this crack about that she spends so much time in hiking boots and wool socks this time, uh, uh, and um, along with LL Bean plaid shirts, um, that she should be... Uh, she's not exactly fashionable now, but instead of being pestered by Walmarts, she was being pestered by Patagonia, which means nothing to me, but I'm sure is very funny. Um, it's a very, like, crunchy granola. Ah, yep. Gotcha. Um, and Cassie talks about um, how she's sort of resisted dating and she'd resisted with Ronnie in particular because they have to work together. Plus, he was six years older than me. So he's 25 and mm-hmm. she's 19. 
So. Which is still gross. Yeah, Ronnie, it's not great. Ronnie, what you doing, bud? <laughs> what you doing? I appreciate that Cassie is also probably more mature than most 19-year-olds. Yeah, uh, more traumatised. More traumatised too. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. They, they've talked about how the war ages, but still you shouldn't be dating a teenager if you're in your 20s. But that's really not the point right now. Just know that we're side-eyeing it. Uh, um, but because she knows she's made the choice to move on. Mm-hmm. She's not Cassie the Animorph anymore. Um, uh, when the new president was elected, uh, she was moved uh, to a different position, a special assistant to the president for resident aliens. Um, she's 19 years old and in the president's sub-cabinet, basically. Um, so, And she's acknowledging, like, yeah, she'd always be Cassie the Animorph. There's another movie coming out. Um, my part was going to be played by an actress who was about a foot taller and 20 pounds lighter than me. Um, talks about how there's, where are they now? Stories about Jake and Marco and her. And of course, the inevitable bogus Tobias sightings. Uh, and she's, she's not really trying to put it behind her, but that she's sort of trying to live this different life and move forward. Um, and she's, so she's rock climbing with Ronnie and then she spots a peregrine falcon. Um, and she knows immediately that this isn't a real peregrine falcon, that this is Jake. Um, and she calls out to Ronnie like, hey, uh, a friend of mine is coming. Um, <laughs> I I just really don't like Ronnie. Yeah. Like, is the thing, like... Yeah, I bought you need a break. I told you not to eat those pancakes. I told you they'd slow you down. Calls her Cass. Don't like it. Uh, there's a friend of mine coming, and he looks, and he's like, one of them? Jake. I mean, oh. we're, we're ascribing motive to <laughs> the are. italicized text. Like, here. I don't think that Cassie should be with Jake, but also I just don't like Ronnie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Ronnie has been told. He, he knows about Cassie's relationship with Jake. Um, and the sort of shadow mm-hmm. that Ronnie lives under mm-hmm. uh, because of how Jake is seen in like the public imagination. Yeah. And I do like, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go up ahead on the trail and I'll, you know, just let me know when you're done. Let me know when you're done. Uh, there'll be a good observation point. And Jake comes down and he demorphs. He's like, please stand in front of me. I'm going to roll right down the mountain if I demorph in the wrong order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, de- he re- demorphs without problems. Yep. And immediately uh, she's like, hey, what happened? Or is something the matter? Yep. And he explains about Axe and all of that. Um, and that sh- she realizes that the Andalites are essentially asking Jake to go after Axe. Uh, and he's like, oh, of course not. <laughs> they- that would be in violation of the andalite Kelbridge Treaty. They can't ask me to do such a thing, but if I just happen to find a Yerk ship and happen to man it with my friends and go off into space, well, they can't do anything about it. And um, Cassie is understandably like, this sounds one ship. Go into hostile space with one ship, rescue acts on the blade ship, and possibly a whole alien empire. Yep. Plus, there might be a third unknown alien species, Jake said. He smiled in a way that was so much like Rachel. That same self-mocking swagger. How had I ever noticed that similarity before? Marco will be going with me, he added. He will, he agreed. No, not yet. I haven't asked him, but he will. I didn't want to say the words. I didn't want to, but Axe was more than a friend. How many times had he risked his life to save mine? 
I couldn't count the number of times I'd been down and only his flashing tail had brought me out alive. I'll go too, I said. I just need a day to wrap things up and, and Jake shuts her down. He's like, no. Look, if it's because of us, because of, you know, you and me, hey, that's separate and apart from saving Axe. Axe is one of us. That's not it, Cassie, he said, all the swagger gone. He was the old, awkward Jake now, struggling to express feelings instead of making lightning decisions. And his point is, you're doing what you need to do and were born to do. This is like why we fought the war. It's done. And your job is to protect this thing that we worked for, that we fought for. And for better or worse, what he does is go make, go pick fights, go mm-hmm. do that. And she's doing what she needs to do. Um, and Cassie's trying like, I'm still pretty good in a fight. And he's like, Cassie, you're a one-woman army, but you're the soldier who has fought her war and moved on. That's good. Uh, it's not me, though. Come on, Cassie. We both know this is a lifeline for me. Uh, and Cassie's brushes away a tear, not quite knowing how to feel, relieved or rejected. And she's just like, so you just came to say goodbye? No. I mean, yes, to say goodbye for now. But also I came for Tobias. And she stares. It's just like, I know you know where Tobias is. <laughs> uh, because of course he knows. Because yeah. he's can read her. But um, I'm sure he's sworn you to secrecy. But you have to ask yourself what's best for Tobias now. Axe was his Sean. He has to go. You know that. Even if he does hate me. He doesn't hate you, Jake. He never did. His heart was broken. That's all. And you know, Tobias never had anyone. No one before Rachel. No mother, really. No father he could ever know. Rachel was the first and only person who ever loved Tobias. Yeah, I know. But Axe was his friend. So are all of us, even if he doesn't want it that way. So tell me how to find him. A few minutes later, after watching Jake morph and fly away, I climbed up to where Ronnie waited. I knew I had said goodbye to Jake forever. I respect so much that Cassie stayed behind. Mm-hmm. 